Good morning. Whether you are joining us online or here in the sanctuary, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. My name is Biz Thornton, and I use he and she pronouns. I am an androgynous white person with short blonde hair and large black and white glasses, and I am wearing all black. And I am also a member of this church. It is a joy and a pleasure to be here, and I am glad we could all be here together. And to all those who are new to our church, I extend a special welcome. I'm so excited to be in this religious home with you, whether for a day, a month, a year, or more. If you are joining us remotely, and if you can, please say hello in the comments and let us know from where you are viewing the service. And if you're joining us from across time and watching a recording of this service, please feel free to leave a comment, too. Either way, you can always email the church and say hi. However you are joining the service today, we invite you to fill out the online visitor form at austinuu.org. Simply click on Worship, which will then show you a link to the form. We would love to get to know you better. As we work to create beloved community, we welcome all who would join us in building a better world with more love, more justice, and more peace. We welcome all who would join us in growing in mind, heart, and spirit. We welcome all who would join us in tearing down systems of oppression of all kinds. We welcome all who would join their purposes to ours in a loving spirit of right relationship. Please know that all you bring with you today is welcome. Your joy is welcome here. Your sorrow is welcome here. Your noise and your silence are welcome here. Your movement and your stillness are welcome here. Your belief and your doubt and your disbelief are welcome here. It's so good to see you. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in this tradition, this living tradition, that I invite you to greet the holy among us, either in the comments or by turning to those around you. Let us greet the holy that lives in each of us this morning. Let us share in the words by which this will light our chalice this morning. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship this morning is by the Reverend Kimberly Quinn Johnson, a black woman and a Unitarian Universalist minister. It is titled, The Promise and the practice, benediction number two. Hush. Somebody's calling your name. Can you hear it? Calling you to a past not quite forgotten, calling us to a future not fully imagined. Hush, hush. Somebody's calling our name. What shall we do? One of the things that binds First UU together as a religious community is that the congregation has a common purpose. For First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, that common purpose is the mission. 
The congregation wrote it together and put it on the wall in the sanctuary. Every Sunday, church participants say it together so that we may more readily carry it with us in our hearts throughout the week. Let us say it together now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. The reading today is by Jess Reynolds, a white, non-binary writer and a Unitarian Universalist. It is titled, Carry Me Into the Dark. Orion rises in the winter dark, shoulders and knees, a belt, a bow, held taut before the charging bull. My father calls each star by its name. Draws lines from hunter to quarry to the seven sisters huddled together in the night. I am not afraid of the dark. I do not need an arrow knocked on the archer's bow to call myself safe here by eyes untouched by the glare of passing headlights. God must watch her universe like this, standing on a driveway, wrapped in a soft quilt, old hands in her pockets, feet tingling with cold, and wonder at the stars and the stories and all else the dark holds. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. And breathing together, let us sense one another's loving presence throughout our world and across time. Breathing in and breathing out. We follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where a spark of the divine resides within each of us. Whatever we have brought here today, let us greet it with love and compassion carried in our breath. Hello, my body. Hello, my mind. Hello, my heart. Hello, my past. Hello, my future. Hello, everyone. Together, let us enter into a time of sacred silence where we find that the ongoing sounds of this world also speak with the voice of the divine. I invite you now to light a candle if you are so moved. Candles representing sorrow, joy, hope, remembrance, resilience, compassion, a wish, a prayer, a lamentation, whatever it is you need to honor during this time. And as we light candles, I invite you to keep in your mind and heart members of our community who are ill or in sorrow and those who are celebrating joys. Let us hold the silence together throughout this meditative time.
changes now, changes now, things that seem to be solid are All is now, all is now, the time that we Now we light one last candle for all those for whom there is no one to light a candle. It is the eternal and infinite now and then and forever moment of poetry and the gods. I just wanted to let y'all know what kind of sermon we're having this morning. (laughs) You ready? You coming with me? Are we here? All right. It is the eternal and infinite now and then and forever moment of poetry and the gods, and a young man named Kyprisos is hunting. A tamed stag is Kyprisos's favorite companion. It is beautiful and held sacred by all the nymphs of the woods. Kyprisos loves to garland its neck with beautiful flowers and jewelry made of precious gems and metals. 
The stag is powerful and gentle and lovely, with graceful legs and mighty antlers and dark, dark eyes, themselves garlanded with long, beautiful lashes. One day, as Kypriasas goes into the woods to hunt, the stag sleeps in a shady spot beneath some trees. As Kypriasas stalks through the woods, he hears the telltale rustling of leaves, the quiet breathing of an animal. He takes his bow in his hand and moves faster than his thinking mind. Not knowing at what he aims, Kypriasas lets fly one arrow, and one arrow is all it takes. He approaches a shady spot beneath some trees and finds the body of his beloved stag, pierced with that single arrow. By mistake, he has killed his friend. Kyperisos is seized with grief and regret, and he falls to his knees and weeps, and he prays to the gods that he might grieve forever and ever over the body of his beautiful friend. His lamentations rise all the way to the ears of the god Apollo, whose heart is moved by such despair, and so he answers the prayers of Kyperisos. He turns the young man into a cypress tree, a tree of mourning which weeps with its sap, a tree which may weep forever and ever over the innocent death of what was most honored and most loved. This is a story about transformation. It is the eternal and infinite now and then and forever moment of poetry and the gods, but it is also somewhere around the year we call 40 of the common era. And a woman named Mary is crying. She has been crying for a long time. She's crying outside of a cave where her teacher has been buried. Her teacher was murdered a few days ago, executed, in fact, by the government. And Mary is racked with grief and loss of his beautiful smile, his loving touch, his strange anger, his odd and clever turns of phrase. A whole world is gone without him. Mary is crying because her teacher is dead, but also because his body is gone now. Humiliated, executed, and now his body has been stolen. By who? What further degradation might the government be visiting upon her teacher? She has brought friends to help her, to bear witness to what has happened, but as soon as they look into the cave, they go running off again and not saying a single word to her. Alone, confused, and still grieving, Mary continues to cry before finally stooping to look into the cave another time. Now there are two people inside of the cave. They seem strange in some indefinable way. They ask her, Woman, why are you crying? She tells them, They have taken away my teacher, and I don't know where they have taken him. Mary turns away from these strange figures and sees someone else who is also a stranger. Looking at him, she thinks that perhaps he is the gardener of this place, and he says to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she says to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She looks away from him again, still weeping. He doesn't answer her question. He just says her name. He says, Mary. 
She turns back to him, and in shock, she suddenly realizes. She shouts, teacher, and she embraces him. It is him, her beloved teacher, her friend, miraculously returned to her, not a mirage or a see-through ghost, but all of him, a mind which knows her name and a body which can be held. She did not recognize him, but now it is all so clear. This is a story about transformation. It is the eternal and infinite now and then and forever moment of the poetry and the gods. But it's also 1985, and a man named Lou Sullivan has been writing a lot of letters and having a pretty rotten year. In January, he got extremely sick with mono. In June, his sister fell extremely ill herself, and Lou became her caretaker while she and her husband and their three large dogs, which Lou cannot stand, are all living in Lou's apartment. In December, to top it all off, his four pet finches that he'd had for seven years all die at once. His relationship with his boyfriend is not going well, and he's lonely, and he's feeling a lot of despair. Because Lou Sullivan isn't just writing letters about getting mono and caring for his sister and hating the dogs and losing his birds, he's also writing letters trying to find someone to perform a particular surgery for him, and everyone is telling him no. Lou Sullivan is a gay man who is also transgender, and in 1985, this is unthinkable to much of the medical establishment that Lou relies on for his health care. So Lou writes letters, and his friends all over the country write letters, but all the surgeons keep saying they don't understand, they think he's trying to do something impossible, they think it would be malpractice to do what he's asking them to do, they don't believe he can live a quality life, they believe that if he is attracted to men, he should just be a woman and not a man, and so they tell him, no. Depressing. What a rotten year for Lou. But even through his despair, he keeps on trying. He makes new friends, he works on his book, he writes in his journal, he starts riding motorcycles and also tries to learn the piano, and he keeps writing the letters. After all, back in 1980, he had found someone to do a different surgery for him, so he figures he'll keep trying. Then, in 1986, all of a sudden, his friends start getting letters with good news. He found someone. In the end, after writing letters to everyone all over the country, it's his old surgeon from back in 1980 who says he can do it. Dr. Brownstein, who has an office right in town. It's not the exact surgery that Lou was looking for, and it's outside of Dr. Brownstein's expertise. There are even aspects of the surgery he has never performed on another person before. But he doesn't have a problem with Lou being gay, and Lou already knows him from a previous surgery, and he's the only person who said yes, so Dr. Brownstein seems like an excellent choice. And Lou is elated. In 1986, before he even gets the surgery, he writes a letter to his friend that says this, It is amazing how alive I feel knowing this surgery can happen soon. This is a story about transformation. If you were anyone in any of these stories, who would you want to be? Who do you think you are? Who reminds you of yourself? Who reminds you of someone else? Who feels familiar and who feels distant? Does anything in these stories make you feel good or make you feel bad? Here's where I'm at with these questions. The story of Kyprius sauce makes me wonder some things about life and about myself. 
I have never shot my best friend with an arrow, (laughs) but like all of us, I have harmed others. I have been unthinkingly cruel. I have said things that I regret. I have felt like Kyperiosos, weeping in the woods, praying to the gods that I might grieve forever. And I have felt like the stag, too, a creature with a nervous mind who has become tame. But in a moment of danger, I wonder if I have become too soft to survive. I wonder if I could have prevented this, if I could have rejected the friendship of the human and the honor of the nymphs in order to remain safely within the woods. A death in the woods is still a death, though, and I suppose death awaits me no matter what path I go down. And so then I think about how the earth is full of the dead, and so no one mourns alone, and yet whenever someone near me dies, I am gripped by a sense of wrongness as the world continues to spin, and business goes on as usual for almost everyone. We are interconnected throughout the great web of life, and there is no one who does not know loss, and the ground itself sprouts trees that weep, and yet loss is lonely. Questions continue to surround me. What do I do when I hurt someone besides wish I would be turned into a tree? How can I trust my own transformation into a trusting creature? How do I forgive? Can I see myself in the trees around me? How many cypress trees have I passed not knowing that Apollo had turned them into trees in their grief? Are they my family then when I grieve? Is my sense of aloneness also a part of the web of life that we share? And in the end, was Apollo's true gift that the cypress tree and the stag would be reunited in the soil of the earth. The story of Mary makes me see flashes of my own life. When I think of her voice crying, I think of Kyprisos again. I think of the voices of mourners I have heard. I wonder if Mary wept continuously or if she ever sat in stunned silence sometimes. And when I read or hear or tell this story, which I love, uh, I see my own religious life unfold before me. It is an eclectic scrapwork quilt, and these days I think it might never be finished. Perhaps it's not supposed to ever finish. I see the way the divine has followed me around, even in my greatest moments of despair. Like Apollo, it is moved by my tears and helps me transform. After a lifetime of encountering the divine in a thousand different forms and under a thousand different names, each one gently opening my heart like a door or crashing through me like a wave of the ocean or meeting me in the wilderness with its wild eyes, after a lifetime of experiences like these, I have begun to see this part of my life in Mary, too. How many times in my life have I turned around with tears in my eyes and met some stranger and asked him for help, only to discover that once again the divine has appeared in my life in some new form, now familiar and yet also changed, marked by wounds or scars in a form that could only exist now, right now, in this moment interdependently created by all the other moments that have come before? It calls my name, and suddenly I recognize it. The story makes a tiny question bloom in my heart. It speaks so quietly, sometimes I can hardly hear it. It turns towards God like a sunflower and says, Is change a part of you, too? Do you change with me? And of course, in this appearance of a friend who is both familiar and made new, I see a parade of smiling people I have met in my life. 
There's something I love to see, and I've been blessed to see it many times. It happens for many reasons, but I'm most familiar with it in one particular form. When someone I know comes out as trans and begins to make changes to their life, they bloom. They seem to unfold like a flower. Uh, And whenever I see people in this state, I always imagine the same flower. I don't know what that's about. I always see a peony, I think, because they're so round and beautiful, and they have these, like, infinite, oh, excuse me, infinite petals coming out of them. I talk with my hands too much. I need a mic for just my hands. (laughs) So... (laughs) We come to the story of Lou writing letters in 1985. I see a lot in Lou's life. I see the lessons my own trans life has taught me. I see the way that transformation has a paradoxical nature. It comes for us no matter what, and it is something we must take an active part in. I see the ways in which our bodies are always changing. Aging, healing, hurting, eating, transmuting, birthing, growing, shrinking, becoming sick, becoming strong, dying. And I see the ways in which we take action to change our lives, too, by forming networks of care, by believing that we are not alone, by writing letters, by seeking out the life paths we desire and are drawn towards, by following the honesty that lives deep within our hearts. I admire the honesty of Lou's life. I admire the ways in which he was unapologetically himself, even when it cost him dearly. Sometimes my own honesty has cost me too. But I am comforted to think that Lou sits beside me in those moments of suffering and that he understands what I have lost and what I have gained. Maybe I can admire myself too, if I can admire Lou. But the story of Lou's life says something else to me, which begins somewhere a little more personal even than that. The reason I mention Lou's surgeon by name is that he was also mine. Back in 2010, I went to Dr. Brownstein, too. Lou Sullivan was born in 1951, and he died in 1991 at the age of 39 of AIDS-related complications. That's just five years after the surgery and the story I told you, although that's four years longer than the doctors told him he would live. And when he died, I was only two years old. Between his community building, his research on trans lives, his determination to stand up to the medical establishment, and his own personal life of joy and dignity memorialized in his journal and letters, Lou had an immense impact on my life but I never got to meet him. We were alive together on this planet for a brief window of time, and then he died. But we have this connection. When I realized Lou and I had gone under with the same surgeon, I nearly cried. Those hands, which had so improved my own life and given me freedom and comfort, those hands which had touched me beneath even my own skin, in places that even the light doesn't touch, those hands which had guided me into the dark and kept me safe and guided me back up again, those hands had touched Lou too and done the same for him. So I think of Lou as a special kind of brother. I still wish I could have met him. I wish he had lived to see more of the world that he helped make. But I'm glad he's my brother in this way.
We speak often of the interconnected web of existence. It is a part of the living language of our faith. And when I think of this connection with Lou that I have, my awareness of this web flares to life. This is the web. Lou and his network of friends. Lou and his book. Lou and his journal and his sister and his birds. Lou and his surgeon who tried a new thing he had never done before to bring care to this man who was too honest to get care from anyone else. And Lou and I will never touch earthly hands across the abyss of death. But Apollo or someone else was moved by the sound of my cries or his cries or our cries. And now the same surgeon has transformed us both in places where light has never touched before. And the web has knit together a little thread just for us. I think Lou would have liked to meet me just as much as I would have liked to meet him. I think he would be happy that we could know each other like this. And this is the greatest lesson about transformation that being trans has ever taught me. I have learned techniques for accepting change into my life. I have learned ways to navigate it and plan for it and coax it out of hiding. I have lots of advice and tips and tricks. But most importantly, most importantly... I have learned that when you follow the guiding spark inside towards the transformation your spirit calls you to, on the other side of that transformation is love and beauty. You will make families you never knew you could. You will find the interconnected web of life knitting together in strange and beautiful new patterns. You will find recreation, rebirth, reconciliation. You will find joy you never could have known. I know this is true. No transformation is completely safe, and no transformation is completely perfect. And it doesn't matter. You are called anyway. I want to tell you one more story. I work with an organization called Gender Unbound. We put together art events by and for trans and intersex people in the Central Texas area. We've done big multi-day art festivals and smaller art markets and all kinds of things like that. And one thing we've done a few times is put on an event for Trans Day of Visibility, which is on March 31st. And so I'm interrupting my own sermon with a little plug. Uh, This month, on March 31st, Gender Unbound will be having a Trans Day of Visibility community uh, picnic and art market. And you are all invited. Uh, if you want more information, my friend Mora will be in Housen Hall. I'm going to make you wave, Mora. This is Mora. Hi, Mora. <laughs> and they can tell you all about this event. It's going to be lots of fun. Okay. Here comes the story. It is the eternal and infinite now and then and forever moment of poetry and the gods. And it is also March of 2019. Gender Unbound is putting together... Uh, an event on Trans Day of Visibility, and I am running in circles around the venue. Crepe paper streamers and the colors of the trans flag are hanging from the ceiling they took forever to put up. Performers are dancing and reciting poetry on stage. Bartenders are serving sparkling water and juice and, I think, cocktails. Local organizations are handing out flyers about the resources they can provide. The venue itself is providing free, on-site HIV testing. Attendees are checking out the table of raffle prizes, which has original art and gift cards to local businesses and a bunch of other stuff that people just donated to us. There's a wall of sticky notes, also in the colors of the trans flag where people are writing affirmations they want to pass on to other trans people. And there are also 
huge rectangles of butcher paper covering the walls where people can write or draw whatever they want. (sighs) The day draws to a close. I'm exhausted but full of life. I've seen a hundred friends and I've made a hundred more. Many attendees stay to help us. And together we put away tables and chairs, we disassemble the raffle area, we cart away the leftover drinks, and we take down the streamers and the sticky notes and some signs we put up, and also those huge pieces of butcher paper. We stand in front of them before taking them down, just to take in the loveliness. There are enormous drawings of smiling faces, stars, hearts, dragons, spirits, cats, dogs, hands, eyes, and a thousand other things. There are phrases written in huge, colorful letters, things like, trans is beautiful, and you are enough, and trans existence is resistance, and free to be me, and proud to be trans, and I exist and thrive. Love washes over me as it has been doing all day. I love everything I see before me. I am full of tenderness and affection for every line and every letter. But I have not seen everything there is to see. There is, in fact, a tiny piece of text written in simple black marker at the very, very top of one of the sheets of paper, and it's so small and so far away that you might miss it or mistake it for something else. But at the end of the day, in this moment of calm, I am able to see it. And as I read it, I am gripped as if I am hearing a choir of angels, as if I am seeing the very face of God, as if I am being told the good news of the whole universe, and I must race away and tell everyone what I'm hearing for the rest of my life. And here's what it says. I'm happy now. Amen. Blessed be. Thank you. We will share these words together as Bis extinguishes our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. My friends, may many sacred stories find you and offer you their wisdom and comfort. May your heart know how to find the stories that it needs. May you be continually surprised by the new family that comes from transformation. May your old and present and future selves all meet one another in compassion. And may you find yourself realizing again and again that you are happy now. Amen and blessed be. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.